Father, that is our prayer that you would make us one. What a beautiful thing you do and you offer your son to bring peace. Peace between us and you. Peace between us and one another. Thank you, Father, that you make us one. As we turn to your word now, Father, we ask that we would hear from your Holy Spirit through your word this morning. There are so many things swirling around in our heads between the, um, the things that have gone on today already, the things going on in our family or work, and, and the things going on all over the political landscape this past week. And Father, as all of those things swirl around, I ask that we would hear you in the midst of that, but, but even more specifically, that, that we would hear you in the midst of your word this morning, despite or amidst all the other swirling thoughts going around we ask that we could hear from your word. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Covenant family. It is good to be here and worship together. I'm so glad that you are with us. Thank you for joining us for this online service. I know this has been a, um, a, a very difficult political season. And I know there are a lot of people right now who are uh, pleased with the way that things have turned out this week. And there are a lot of people that are not pleased with the way that things have turned out this week. And we know that we as Christians, that we have the responsibility to influence our community, our society, to influence the world for Christ. We have influence through the policies we vote for, and we have influence through the character that we live out. I believe that good policies can protect and direct people, and that's important. And I believe that good character can transform people, and that's important. While this discussion about policies is a difficult one that is bringing division, this discussion about character is an important one that can bring unity. While we continue to sort out our feelings about policies, because that is important, I hope that we can unite our passion around living out the character of Christ together as the body of Christ. If you are reading through the Gospels in this three-week sermon series, as David invited us to be doing last week, then as you read that through and you look at the life of Jesus, you will see that Jesus cared about the sanctity of life from the womb to old age. You'll see that Jesus cared about justice for the poor and the vulnerable from, from the womb to old age. Jesus cared about a godly view of sexuality and family. Jesus cared about eth ethnic equality. To live out the character of Jesus is to live in such a way that is supporting and encouraging those kinds of efforts. 
Today, that would mean um, supporting things like Matrix Life Care Center, nursing homes, law enforcement, CASA, foster care, adoption, food finders, um, Lafayette Urban Ministry, the Shalom for the City efforts. It's not all of us supporting all of these things, but it's all of us supporting and encouraging some of these things. Because we are united in our passion to live out the character of Christ that we see demonstrated in his authoritative word that he's given to us. I look forward to continuing to link arms with you all as we um, over and forever and ever increase the passion for our, our commitment to living out the character of Christ. And I believe that as we do that, we can transform our community and our nation. We began a preaching series just last week entitled, As Jesus Did. We were um, using, uh, we were starting with 1 John 2, 6. It says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So in this series, we're examining the way that Jesus walked. Just incidentally, I have to tell you that I'm in my second viewing now, uh, going through a TV series, a YouTube series called The Chosen. And it is a, a beautiful um, uh, capturing of, of the way that Jesus lived his ministry on earth. So I encourage you to, to look into that. So we're walking through this series um, as Jesus did. And last week we focused in on um, the, the welcoming posture of Jesus, his, his heart of accepting the outsider, the needy, and the quote-unquote unacceptable. This morning, we'll focus again in on looking at Jesus' life and specifically the way he forgave. So in a moment, we'll turn to uh, Ephesians 4.32, and I'll, I'll have you go with me uh, to that passage now, and we'll actually start, I, I want to just remind us of two of the verses leading up to verse 32. Verse 29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. 31 says, get rid of all bitterness, anger, and rage, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. I want to pause there just, just for a moment to invite the Lord to speak even in, in that initial reading of those passages. I don't know if the Lord has anything to say to you in this moment through those words. The passage we'll be focusing on this morning is then uh, verse 32 that says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So there are two parts to forgiveness that I want us to look at this morning as we look at the way that Jesus forgave. First, there's how God forgives us through the work of Jesus. And then there's how Jesus forgave those that he walked with on earth. So first of all, how God forgives us through the work of Jesus on the cross. 
Forgiveness means a debt resolved. A debt is being resolved. So either it's paid for by the debtor or it's absorbed by the person to whom the debt was built up. There's a Tim Keller article that I think speaks beautifully to this. And, and if you want to look into that, I, I encourage you to go to our Grow Group uh, resources page on our website. Look at the bottom of those resources and you'll find that article. In that article, Tim Keller uses this example about um, a $20 lamp, if I'm recalling that right. And, and imagine you break my $20 lamp. So the debt is resolved or forgiven either by you giving me $20 to buy a new lamp or by me uh, willingly taking the hit and using my own $20 to purchase a new lamp. When we rebel against our creator, we owe him a debt. And that debt is our life. That debt is resolved either by me paying with my life and therefore being stuck in spiritual death or by God who through Jesus' death on the cross is taking the hit of spiritual death and spending his own life to buy us a new one. That's the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus. That's redemption. If you are listening and you are not a follower of Jesus, then know that, that the debt you owe your creator for your rebellion has been paid by Jesus' death on the cross. He's now extending this, this offer to you, and you have this decision. Either you can pay for your own debt with your life, which means spiritual death, or you can receive Jesus' payment of your debt with his life on the cross. This, this relationship, this decision can really start with, with a simple conversation with the Lord. As you speak to the Lord and as you admit that you need him, that you believe in what Jesus did on the cross and you receive that gift of forgiveness, that you confess your sins and commit to live for him and not for yourself, that discussion with the Lord walks you into a life of adventure and redemption with him. I want to pause just for a moment for those of you who are not followers of Christ and there's something stirring in you right now and you're considering that prayer of stepping into a relationship with the Lord. Father, I lift up that those men or women in this moment who, who they are sitting or standing before you and they are ready to admit that they need you. They believe in your sacrifice for their sins. They're confessing their sins before you and they're committing to live their life for you and not for themselves. Father, I pray that they would feel your presence coming alongside, coming to live in them as they step into relationship with you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you have made that decision, then I encourage you to reach out to a friend that is a follower of Jesus. 
reach out to me or someone on our covenant staff. We would love to have a conversation with you about this sweet life of redemption with our Lord. As you consider a call to forgive, which, which is the next part of this forgiveness that we'll be talking about in a moment, Never forget that you have been forgiven a far greater debt against your creator than, than you will ever, than anyone will ever perpetrate against you. That is to say, the, the magnitude of your debt to our creator is, is far greater than, than any debt that someone else owes you for the wrong they've done. That is not to say that the wrong someone has committed against you is small or petty or insignificant, but it is simply to, to say that, that you have been forgiven more than you will be asked to forgive any given person. So this second part of forgiveness that we want to spend some time looking at is how did Jesus, how Jesus forgave people throughout his 33-year life here on earth? I want to jump into the account of Jesus' life, actually towards the end of it, and, and look at Luke 23, verse 34, where it says this. We read, again in Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus is on the cross, and he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. When we think about this, we, we realize that Jesus has the Pharisees and the Roman soldiers and, and an angry, mocking crowd in view. Instead of calling down judgment on them, he's speaking on their behalf while being crucified. That's unimaginable. And that is the life that we see exemplified throughout Jesus' ministry on earth. There's this interesting scene in John 1, verse 46 and 47, where Philip and Nathaniel are talking, and Philip is telling Nathaniel about this, this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, who, who it seems like this man is the one that all the prophets have been talking about, the anointed one that, that they've been prophesying. And and Nathaniel responds, he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And, and then you'll see in, in verse 47 that, that Jesus, he, he approaches Nathaniel, he knows what has gone on with Nathaniel's response to Philip. And, and Jesus responds to Nathaniel with, with grace. He doesn't lash out because Nathaniel has unfairly judged him before he even met or got to know him, but, but he responds to, with grace. He even, he even calls out and names some of the good in Nathaniel, Nathaniel's commitment to truth and boldness to speak it. But it's also interesting when I look here and I see that, that Nathaniel's, his his claim, his, his hesitation, his conclusion was, was a solid one. When he says Nazareth, what good can come with, from Nazareth? He, he knew the prophecies of, of an anointed one, of a Messiah that would come from Bethlehem. So he, he hears Philip talking about this Jesus of Nazareth who, who may be the promised one. And Nathaniel says, it's, the prophecies talk about Bethlehem, not what good can come from Nazareth. 
So you might think that, well, Nathaniel has a, a good, solid conclusion here that Jesus isn't the one. He's from Nazareth. So while he had a reasonable, solid conclusion, it was wrong. Jesus, while it was Jesus from Nazareth, we know the rest of the story, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So it's just interesting for me to think about this, this you know, reasonable, solid conclusion that Nathaniel came to before getting to know Jesus, and, and it was wrong. I wonder what reasonable, solid conclusions we're coming to about others before getting to know them, and our reasonable, solid conclusions are actually wrong. You know, we, we go on, and you can see in John 2.24, there's this interesting verse where Jesus has been ministering to a number of people, performing healings and all sorts of teaching, and, and it says that, that Jesus would not entrust himself to them, this people, for he knew all people. Another translation says he, he knew what was in each person. So throughout Jesus' ministry, he knows what's inside each person. He knows the way that they are judging him or misunderstanding him or thinking ill things about him. Some are believing him, some are doubting him. He, he knows that all along the way. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking through life? I mean, many of us walk through life now suspecting that others think ill of us, misunderstand us, or wrongly judge us. And that makes our blood boil. We think, you know, I don't want anything to do with those people who could think such things or come to such conclusions about me. They don't know me. Jesus clearly knew all of those thoughts of all of these people that he interacted with. Those thoughts of misunderstanding and judgment and all sorts of ill thinking. And and he pursued people with grace. He engaged with them. He didn't lash out with them. He extended forgiveness to them. Sometimes before they even spoke the thing that they were thinking, he was extending forgiveness. That's a beautiful picture of forgiveness. It's a challenging picture of forgiveness that Jesus gives over and over again throughout his life as recorded in the Gospels. You know, there are more scenes that we can look to. I think of this scene in Mark 14. After the Last Supper, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he is telling them that they will all fall away. And, and Peter stands up, and emphatically, he says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then in the next part of that verse, it says, all the others said the same thing. So Peter and all the disciples say, Jesus, we will never disown you, never. Well, later that evening, Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. In verse 50 in Mark 14, it says, Then everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone who had hours before said, Jesus, we will never desert you. Every one of them deserted him and fled. How does it feel to be deserted, disowned, walked away from? Have you ever been deserted or disowned or walked away from? That's a deep wrong or hurt for someone to dish out to someone else. 
That's a deep wrong, hurt, and pain for, for you to receive from someone else. That's difficult to forgive. So the question is, how did Jesus forgive such things? There's, there's two things I, I can see. Um, one of those, as I read through the Gospels, is I see that Jesus prayed for those who wronged him. In John 17, we read these beautiful prayers of Jesus praying to the Father for all believers, praying to the Father for specifically his 12 disciples, knowing full well the way that those disciples would desert him and wrong him, knowing full well the way that we as believers would desert him and wrong him in a given moment. Jesus prays for those who wrong him. And then secondly, we see this example that Jesus pursues those who wrong him. In John chapter 20, verse 19, we, um, in this passage, Jesus, after his resurrection, comes to the upper room, and he pursues those disciples who had just days before, after years of time spent with them, they had deserted him. Jesus pursues them and shows them his, his, his wounds, then later, um, Jesus even specifically comes after Peter. He pursues Peter and gives Peter the opportunity to declare three times over and over again his love for Jesus, and in some ways to make up or to turn from Peter's three times of disowning Jesus. So, so Jesus prays for those who wrong him, and he pursues those who wrong him. And, and we might ask, well, I understand that, but how can I do that. Well, we're called to walk as Jesus did. So I think it is important for us to pray for those who wrong us. In Matthew 5, Jesus instructs those around that, that we are to be praying for those who persecute us. That's a difficult thing, but it's clearly what Jesus is calling us to do, and it's what he lived out Secondly, this idea that, that um, pursue the ones the Lord calls you to pursue. Now, I, I realize we don't see example in Scripture of Jesus pursuing everyone, but he did pursue some who wronged him. So, so I believe that there are some people that we are called to pursue in the midst of them wronging us. You know, I, I wonder right now even if you could pause and, and jot down a name of someone that, that has wronged you that you believe Jesus would have you pursue. The third thing I think about in answer to this question of how, how can I forgive as Jesus did and, and is this simple phrase, be crucified with Christ. So I think about this conversation I can have with the Lord where I say, God, there's sin. So let's, let's picture, um, I'm looking out here in this empty room right now at Jerry. And let's picture that Jerry has done something awful to me. And I say, God, I realize that ultimately Jerry's sin is not against me, but ultimately his sin is against you. It really is a big deal. And you, God, have actually paid for it already on the cross. 
So in a sense, that debt of his wrong against me has been paid for in what Jesus did on the cross. But then what do I do with my pain? Because what he did to me, that hurts. And I think Jesus answers us and he says, you bring that pain before me and I will carry it with you. That is part of what it means to be crucified with Christ. In forgiveness, we do actually take on some of the pain, some of the debt that another owes us. If you have spiritual life in Christ, there is strength and healing available in and to you to take on the pain of the debt that you are owed. Hear this. When you forgive someone, you are identifying with Christ as if you are being crucified with Christ. It is difficult and it's painful. There's no way around it. If it's easy and doesn't hurt, then then you're not taking it seriously enough. Forgiveness is difficult and painful. But here's what I know to be true. As you identify with Jesus in his suffering, you sink deeper into the love of Jesus, and there you will find that his strength is greater than your weakness. You'll find that his comfort is deeper than your pain. Every excruciating act of forgiveness for the believer is at the same time a life-giving reminder of the forgiveness that is offered to each of us through Jesus on the cross. Forgiveness is no light matter. It is a life-giving endeavor. Yes, it's, it's, it is that, this forgiveness that you're offering to others, but also, and even more so, the forgiveness that we're receiving from our Heavenly Father. I want to close with just a few verses uh, that, that really have been speaking to me this week as I look at the forgiveness of Jesus. I, I read his words in 1 Peter 5, 7 that says, Cast your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. Verse 10 says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 2 Peter 2.21 says, Christ suffered, leaving you an example that you also might follow in his steps. 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. In Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, forgiveness is one of the most difficult things that we can walk through and is one of the most glorious ways that we can meet Jesus along that walk. Father, I pray that that would be our story, that we would experience your forgiveness and that we would do the difficult thing of suffering with you to extend that forgiveness to others. We thank you for this gift that you offer us. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.